Thanks, Matt. If you would turn in the Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Cody, thank you for that. It made me wish I had my cowboy boots on this morning. Sounded so cool, and we appreciate that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we are. Our subject this morning is pleasing God. Pleasing God is a real category. Most people don't think it is. Most people can't fathom that that's a real thing. God delights. God is pleased. He's happy. There are things that he rejoices over. There are things that glorify him. And he speaks that way. Somebody brings you a gift that you've just been wanting and wanting and wanting. You're so happy about that. It pleases you. If you order something and you're wondering how it's going to turn out, and you're wondering how it's going to turn out, and you wait and you wait and you wait, and you're nervous that it's not going to be what you wanted, and it comes in and it's perfect, you say, oh, I'm so pleased with that. The Bible says that God can be pleased through his people. He delights in us. I remember several years ago when I was coaching t-ball, I saw a sign on a baseball field that said, you know, there's a lot of signs, but there's a sign that says, hey, they're not pros and they're not trying to get college scholarships right now. Just be a parent that's happy to watch your kids play. And from that, I've heard people say, and this is outstanding with youth sports, that when your kid comes off the field or the court, the most important thing you should say is, I love watching you play. Doesn't matter if they're good. They may have blown the game. They may have been terrible. Struck out every time. Your love and delight in them is not based off of that. Think about how much that changes the relationship. What's crazy to me is that I had never heard that before. Now, that was years ago because my kids are growing up now, but that was years ago. The idea that I love being your dad, I love being there, I I enjoy sitting in the bleachers and watching you regardless of whether you do good or not is Life-changing, to be honest. It was rather life-changing for me as a parent. And the idea that God is pleased with us because of Christ, through, through Christ, that he can be delighted through us is outstanding. John Piper has written a very big book called The Pleasures of God, in which he deals with this subject in a huge way. It's a long book. And one of the things he says is, our obedience by faith in Christ, okay, is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. When we love God, when our hearts are resting and trusting and holding and clinging to him, when he is the most important thing in the world to us, when it is God that we worship, He is pleased with us. 
when we go and do what we do. Read with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll look at the first eight verses. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, we have told you that way we're, the way we're doing this series in 1 Thessalonians is we're going Sunday morning, Sunday night, rolling right through it, which means last Sunday we looked at uh, chapter 3, 1 through 5, actually 2.17 to 3.5, but that section, and then last Sunday night we looked at the section right before today's passage, right? So you may have missed that. What I talked about last Sunday morning is that there is spiritual concern here. Paul is concerned, he's worrying, he's thinking, how are they doing? I have not seen them in a while, I wasn't there with them that long. Have they abandoned the faith? Are they still a church? Are they obedient? Do they even care? You know, how are they doing? Last Sunday night, we started at chapter 3, verse 6, and went through the end of the chapter, where Timothy, that they had sent there, comes back to Paul and says, man, they're doing good. They love Jesus still. They're a church. They believe the Bible. They still respect the teaching that you gave them. And it was so encouraging. Chapter 3, 6 to the end of the chapter is about that. It's the report of the Thessalonians through Timothy that has now come back to the leader, the apostle, Paul. And so what we see now at chapter 4 for this morning must be based off of that report. And it was a good report. It's very encouraging. They're doing well. But it appears that there are two issues in the church. Now, by and large, the church is well and doing healthy and trusting in Christ. And they have their focus on Jesus. They worship God. They believe the truth. They gather together, right? The, the church is doing well. But there are still issues, as is always the case in, in every church. There are things right now that we're concerned about that burden us. But by and large, there are a lot of good things going on in our church. And we praise God for it. Well, it seems that the two issues that come up are our passage this morning over sexual immorality and the passage tonight, which Matt McBroom is going to preach on, which is on labor. Very fitting in 2021, right? Jobs, work, work ethic is an issue in the Thessalonian church, and sexual immorality is an issue in the Thessalonian church. And so here's what he's going to address, and we see this in chapter 4. It doesn't tell us exactly that he got this from Timothy, but it would seem that way because the end of chapter 3 is Timothy's report, and here he goes into this. That's good. But we decided to, to break it up. So this morning, we look at the first eight verses, which gets at just 
the side of pleasing God in specifically with obedience and in regards to lust, self-control, the body, passions, and sexual immorality. My first point this morning is living to please God has always been the goal. Number one, living to please God has always been the goal. God's message to us is that he made us so that we can worship him. God made us so that we would glorify him with the way we live. There is a huge, overarching purpose of your life. The reason why he woke you up today and the reason why your heart continues to beat and the reason why you are who you are is that God would be pleased and worshiped and glorified through you. He cares about that. We are not just something filling this earth, running around with busyness that has no purpose or no point. That seems so meaningless, and it is. God made us for God. He knows us. He oversees us. He watches us and he cares and he loves us. And he wants our lives to worship him, highlight him, display him, worship and glorify him. Pleasing God has always been the goal. We see this from the beginning with what he wants with Adam and Eve. We see this as we move through the Old Testament, as we get to him forming a people. We see this as we get to prophets who keep telling the people, hey, you're not living to please God and you need to turn back. And we see this with Christ coming and being the fulfillment of all that God had said. He lived and obeyed perfectly. And we remember God saying of his son, this is my beloved son. And with him I am well pleased. The very word from today is there in Christ. God loves his son. He's proud of his son. His son always obeys. His son lives to glorify his father. The son submitted his own will to the will of the father. And God the father is always, always pleased through God the son. It's beautiful. And he made us to be the same way. And yet, we are not the son, Jesus He is altogether right and good and true and perfect, and he never sinned. He always obeyed God. And he did that because he is God. But at the right time, God sent his son to the cross to die under the judgment and punishment of the holy wrath of God, and he crucified his son. His son died for us so that we that do not please him could please him by faith when we treasure Christ, when we say he is my savior, when we know that God loves us and sent Jesus to die for us. This pleasing God with our lives has always, always been the goal. But the reason why I make that point is not because the Bible always points that out, but rather because it's so redundant even here in our passage. Let's walk through this. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Here's what he's saying. When we came to y'all, we told you that you're supposed to live to please God. When Timothy brought us a report back, he told us that you're living to please God. And I'm writing you today to say you should be living to please God. This is the point. 
This is always the point. We never get out of this, right? If we see each other a year from now, you know what the focus is gonna be? Is Christ worshiped through us. We're about to celebrate 105 years. If we make it another 105 years and we have homecoming of 210 years, that would be, I can't do the math, that would be 2,126, I think, right? At 2126, the purpose of this church must be to worship and please God. No matter what we do, that's the purpose. If you're married, that's the purpose of your marriage. If there are kids with you, that's the purpose of your parenting. If you have a job, that's the purpose of your job, that God would be pleased through it. And so there's this redundancy, and he's saying it over and over again. And there's a tendency to think, why would he say that again? I mean, he just heard from Timothy that they were. Why is he saying do it more and more? Because that's always the purpose. And in our fallen sinfulness, there's a chance that we forget it or we fall fall astray or we start to stumble or we get lazy or we lose focus. And so we always need to be hearing live for God's glory. Look at verse two. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So now he says it again. He's just saying this over and over and over again. Look down to verse six. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Look what he says. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. This is what we told you. This is what we see happening. And this is what we're going to keep telling you. All right. Hey, I'm writing y'all a letter to tell y'all the same thing that I told y'all when we were there. I'm reminding you, not something new, what I told you. And it's the same, same thing. Before Jesus arrived on earth, John the Baptist got here and he said, repent, the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus got here, he said, repent, the kingdom of God is here. When the Holy Spirit filled Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he said, repent, the kingdom of God is here, right? We need to be reminded this morning that there is a message from the Bible and we are not to complicate it. God made you and he made you to live for his glory. He made you to live in a way that pleases him. The difference, honestly, let's be honest. And this whole world is who wants to and who doesn't. That's what it all boils down to. Some folks are here today and they don't want to. And they're ready for this sermon to be over. And they'll forget about it as soon as we leave. Let's just be honest. But some of us are getting eaten up by just how true and heavy this is. And some of us on the inside already, we're five minutes into the sermon, are going, yes, that's what I want. God, be pleased with my marriage and be pleased with my life and be pleased with my parenting. God, God, be glorified in me. Some of us are soaking the truth of the word of God up that God wants to be pleased in us. And some of us are hearing and hearing out loud, God, magnify yourself through me. God, make me a microscope, a telescope, a magnifying glass. Do something to make God look great through my life. That's what the message of the Bible is. It's Paul's message in his ministry. It's the message to the Thessalonian church, and it's the message in 2021 to First Baptist Church of Fairdale, living to please God. That's always been the goal. It has not changed. Living for God's glory is the point of it all. That's always the message in every context. We should do well to examine, analyze, to review, or evaluate. Does this honor God? Does this please God? What does God think about this? In this moment, in this thing, with my lips, with my life, with my actions, with the way we treat these people, with the way we view this, is God honored? Is he pleased? Commentator Green writes, yeah, the commentary that I'm using a lot is by a guy with the last name Green. It's totally not me. But my last name is Green. 
This is Gerald Green. He writes, pleasing God does not mean anything so mundane as being pleasant to him, but rather points to serving him in a way, listen to this, but rather points to serving him in a way that makes his interests a person's primary ambition. What God's interests are, what God's desires are, what God delights and is pleased by is our primary ambition. That's what Paul went and told those people in Thessalonica. And when they said yes, and when they trusted Christ, and when they said, I want to be baptized, and when they linked together as a church, and when they identified themselves as followers of Christ, that passion, that desire took over their lives. And by faith, they live now to please God. It's always, always been the goal. He says it over and over again, even in these things. But secondly, living to please God involves what to do and what not to do. I feel like we talk about this quite a bit here, but we need to continue. Living to please God involves what to do and what not to do, and we must speak toward it. We must. In our passage, we hear the call to be holy, and we hear the call to not be impure. In our passage today, we hear the call to have control over our lusts and our passions, and we hear the call to not be out of control. In our passage today, we hear the call to listen to God on these matters, and we hear the call to not listen to man in this passage. Do not listen to man when man and what he says is going against God. We listen to God. We listen to God. If we want to live lives that please God, then we must understand what does God tell us to do and labor in that direction by faith, and what does God tell us not to do and labor, by, labor in that direction by faith. Trusting in Jesus, eyes on him, what does God want me to do, and then go out here and try to do it. And then by faith, what does God tell me not to do, and then go out here and try to not do it, by faith. All the while knowing that it is through Christ our Savior that we ever find approval with God. And so we're not nervous and scared to death and frantic as we walk because at the very first shortcoming or step of disobedience, we're going to be struck down by God. No, but rather accepted by him because of Christ who has already died in our place and opened up the way to God. And we're in a relationship with him. So we walk by faith. That's why I keep saying by faith, by faith, by faith, holding on to Christ knowing that when we do fall short and disobey, he forgives us and we are still in his grip because of Christ. But we are mindful that God is pleased and delighted with people. He cares about us and knows. And so we get to live for him. And we get to obey him. And we get to live in a way that pleases and glorifies and honors him. And so we go out here aiming to be obedient, doing the very things that he says to do and holding back from the things that he says not to do. If you are a Christian or a new Christian or if you haven't been a Christian very long, hear me that we are to know what to do by reading the Bible and learning the Bible and growing in faith and we are to be aware of what the Bible says not to do. Both of these are good categories. Look with me at verse three. 
Here's the big issue. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, your taking serious obedience to God and his standard. The Bible does teach that we are not perfect, but the Bible does teach that we are to be perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy. It does say this. You must be careful when people start saying the common refrain, well, hey, nobody's perfect and we're, we're all human, as if that makes everything okay. It is true that we're all perfect and everybody, that nobody's perfect and that we're all human, but that does not make everything okay. That makes everything not okay, and so we need a savior. We have one in Christ. And once we have identified with Christ, we then want to be like God because he's our father. We're in his family. We want to be like him. And he is holy. And so the will of God for us is our sanctification, or in other words, to be holy and to be becoming holy and to be growing in holiness or like God. And then he gives us a specific issue. There are lots of issues in our sanctification Some of us are lazy and some of us doubt and some of us have foul mouths that have no control over them and some of us have no control in our time and so we're always running late and always behind and it messes us up and it creates anxiety and stress and and we're a mess just off of that, right? Some of us are liars and, and you know, some of us are mean and we're prideful and we say hateful things to people all the time and some of us just are all over the place with things that are not creating holiness in us. But one of the issues in the Thessalonian church that we're all familiar with is sexual immorality. Things under the umbrella of sexuality that are not moral. They are immoral. Moral means things that are good or right. And immoral means things that are not good or not right. Christianity is about us bringing everything to the glory of God, bringing everything under the lordship of Christ. It's about us bringing everything into we want him to be worshiped in this. And so yes, as crazy as this sounds to the world and increasingly crazy as this sounds to the world out there, we believe God should be pleased with our sex lives. That's what the Bible says. And we believe that he cannot be pleased with our sex lives, our sexuality. More specifically than our sex lives is the passions that feed those, the desires and the lusts that feed those. Look what he says in verse three. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse four, that each one of you know how to control his own body. In holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. There are people in the world, let's be honest, and Christians think that we haven't talked about this enough or whatever, and so here we are. We try to talk about this a lot. The last thing I want to be is a guy or a preacher that talks about sex a lot. I don't want to be feeling uncomfortable or awkward, and I don't want you all to either, but let's be honest about this. There are lots of people in the world who will think and talk about sex and think God does not care or God is not a factor in the way we think about this. That is not true. That is not Christianity. That is not living for the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible is saying right here to the church in Thessalonica, you guys are doing well. Timothy brought up back a good report. Their faith is still strong, but there apparently are some in the Thessalonian church who are not handling sexual morality the right way. There are, oh, there are people in the world who will have sexual lives not based off of God and what he says, and he identifies them in verse five, the passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. But that won't be us, he says. It should not be. We should abstain from sexual morality, and here's how, verse four, that we know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. That's a heavy subject to bring our lusts and passions and desires into submission to pleasing God, honoring him. This is what we should be teaching. This is what we should not avoid or deny. This is what we should be honest about. In our church covenant, which is a solid Healthy church covenant, it's got eight points. We always go over this in new members class. If you're ever wondering, there's a church hymnal in the pew in front of you. If you open up the front flap, the church covenant is there. We give you a church covenant when you go through the new members class to join the church. We want everybody in our church to be committed to the church covenant. It says, under the second point, we will seek by the Holy Spirit to maintain lives of holiness through drawing near to God resisting the devil, putting to death our sins, and living unto righteousness. We will personally watch over the souls of our fellow church members to urge them on to holiness and purity. To be a part of the church, we are by faith to be committed together to holiness in our lives and purity in our desires. Do we fall short of that? Absolutely. And when we do, we repent. I'm not saying that Christians aren't people that have struggles. We do have struggles. Sexual sin happens in our lives. It's a challenge. We are tempted, right? And I'm not to beat you down with that. I am to say that we are to repent of it and bring it to Christ our Savior who loves us, receives us, and accepts us. There is not, there is not a sinner, or more specifically, a sexual sinner in our midst who is not fit for the kingdom of God through Christ. Every single one of us, me or you, with whatever sexual sins we have, can be forgiven of our sins through Jesus. You are not too far, too bad, too deep in it, too dirty, too messed up, too confused. You are not for God to not welcome you in through the work of Christ on the cross. It is no worse than any other sin. It may feel messy and complicated like a big spider web that you cannot get out of, but it is no worse than the prideful person sitting over there looking down on those people. But we must understand that the Bible tells us to bring those lusts and passions under control through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we think about sexual immorality, 
It is so good, and this is where God is just an expert at communicating. It is so good to think about sexual morality based off the impulses, the lusts, and the passions. Why am I desiring this? Where does that come from? Have I tried? Is it under control? And control is such a good thing to discuss because you and I are familiar with things being out of control. Is it okay to drink Coke? Absolutely it is. Is it okay to be out of control with how many Cokes you drink? Absolutely it is, right? Is it okay to stay up a little bit late sometimes and go on a few hours less of sleep? Sure, you're going to catch up somewhere. Is it okay to try to live your life with no sleep? No, you're out of control with your sleep, right? Is it okay every once in a while to miss school because you need to focus on the family? Absolutely it is. I'd encourage it. Let your kids skip school one day and hang out with you. Is it okay to miss work one day because you're going to focus on something else? Absolutely. Is it possible to get out of control with that? Miss work or miss school too much? Absolutely. When we start thinking of things being under control or out of control, that's a good framework for Christians. It is. When I didn't think it up, that's God. That's God. And you and I need to think of sexual desires and passions and lusts with control by God. God, help me to keep it under control. One direction that we can go with is it under control or is it out of control is what's feeding that passion, right? Looking at things that we should not be looking at feeds that passion and it should not be fed. It's gonna make it out of control, okay? We must admit that. Okay, Being with people and lusting and desiring people that we should not be looking at is going to feed that passion and it should not be fed. It's going to be out of control. It's so helpful to think about sexual morality on these terms. I've often had the conversation with people who disagree with me or the Bible on sexual immorality and they will argue for something to be right or okay over here because that's what that person wants or thinks or desires or has a passion for. And then I will say, okay, but what about your son or your daughter? Is it okay for them to do that? And it's no, I don't want that for them. It's very inconsistent. God is wanting us to see he is the standard for what sexuality is to be like. He is the standard for what it means to please God with our sex, our sexuality, and our sex lives, and our sexual desires. And he says here, don't be immoral. Keep it under control. Living to please God involves what to do and what not to do. When it comes to sexuality, sexual desires, passions, lusts, we must identify what is good and right and what is not. And then we labor by faith to do what we should and not do what we should not. A couple years ago for Christmas, I got the kids a BB gun. You can have a lot of fun with that, man. It's It's fun. We set out in the backyard, way back there at the back, like an empty two-liter. We set up some cans, and we just sit there in the backyard, and we're taking shots at it. And it's fun to do that, right? You've done that type of stuff before, I know. It's fun to do that. 
But the first time you, little, you, let, a, you, you let a little kid get the gun, it's like this. And you're like, are you, what are you shooting at, right? And they're, they're like this, and it's all over the place, and they're nowhere near the can. And they, they shoot it, and they're like, did I hit it? I'm like, no, you, you weren't even aiming. It's hard to hit a target. Matt McBroom read earlier from 2 Corinthians 5 that says, we make it our aim to please him. It uses this word, please, and it says aim, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. We make it our aim to please him. You ever seen somebody that's good at shooting? You ever seen that? You ever seen somebody aim at the target? The concentration, the ability to eye it up, to place whatever it is on the target. Aim is a category. Again, God is the ultimate communicator. That's why they kept saying of Jesus, nobody teaches like this. He's the best teacher ever. This book, if we'll read it, will lead us in paths of righteousness. It will guide us into all truth. It is a lamp to our feet, and it says we are to make it our aim to please him. In the conversation of do not be sexually immoral, it is under the umbrella of pleasing him. We must realize with our sexual lives and all the lusts and passions and negativity in the world and the temptations and distractions and all of it. We gotta be dialed in, folks. We've got to be aiming at what God wants for our lives sexually. There must take concentration and discipline and focus and commitment to Christ, believing what God says or else we are gonna be living lives that are not pleasing God in the one little category of sex. It's the truth. And yet we're living in a day where we can live to please God. But we must recognize what to do and what not to do. There are people out there who don't think this way. But those of us that follow Christ, we do. God, help us see what is right and good and true and walk in it and help us see what is not and help us to avoid it and turn from it and repent. Number one, living to please God has always been the goal. Number two, living to please God involves what to do and what not to do. And number three, lastly, living to please God is God's standard and message. It is not man's. Paul makes this point crystal clear. In verse seven, if you look, he says, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. It is God who says we are to be pure. Let's remind ourselves of that, okay? We must be careful with those who want to now talk down or bad about the emphasis upon purity. It's a whole movement these days to say that emphasizing purity is a bad thing or that it is damaging. Purity is good. It's good for us to desire to be pure. And here... We have the reminder from Paul to the church that God doesn't want us to be impure. In calling us to follow Christ, he wants us to be pure. And so we must recognize we can't be pure on our own. God, we need a savior. We have him through Christ. And so with our impurities, we come to Jesus and we believe and we trust in Jesus. But we hear in verse seven, God has called us to be pure. God has not called us to be impure. But then look at verse eight. Therefore, and he comes strong here. Therefore, whoever disregards this 
disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Sometimes we come to church and we think, that was nice, you know, I really like those songs, let's go get some lunch. And sometimes we come to church and the Bible says, if you walk out here today with your own opinions on sex and you will not bring that under God, you're not disobeying me and you're not disobeying a Baptist church. That ain't a big deal. You're disobeying God. It's not my words. It's not my agenda. It's God's. But it is that serious. It is true and heavy and real. It is that God is pleased or displeased with our lives. That is true. And when we love him and desire to obey him because we love him, he's pleased. And when we don't love him and don't believe him and don't desire to obey him by faith, he is not pleased. And there is nothing worse in the world than our lives being wrong and against God. And so we have the good news that God does love us. Even while we were yet sinners and disobedient, God demonstrates his love for us. This is God's message. Don't ignore him. When we listen to someone who is passionate about something, are they honoring God or are they not honoring God? When we listen to somebody give advice or instruction, are they honoring God or are they not honoring God? When we listen to somebody try to get us to do something, whether it's the teachers in our schools or our Sunday school teachers here or our coaches down the street or our government who wants to tell us to do things, are they trying to honor God and put us in position to please him or are they not? Our heart as followers of Christ is to live to please God. We do that because we believe that God loves us and sent his son to die for us. He is our leader. He is our shepherd. He is our God. He is our teacher. He is our king. We will stand before him one day. And so we keep our eyes on him to please him and to follow him. This is what we do. But that is the biggest thing for us. This is what God says. And so that's what we listen to. We must make sure that we understand what God says and what God doesn't say, what man says, and is it faithful to what God says? Are we listening to God, and is he pleased with what we do with it? That's the issue. Commentator Green says, when the Thessalonians accepted the apostolic proclamation as the word of God, which they did, they went there on the mission trip, they preached the gospel, they believed the message, and they trusted in Christ for salvation. That's how it got started, Acts chapter 17. He says, when they accepted the apostolic proclamation as the word of God, they also came under obligation to obey the moral commandments that accompanied it. If you want Jesus and you believe him and you want to identify with the church of God, the living God, and you want to be a follower of Christ, not only do you get his salvation, but you also accept the responsibility 
to move in direction of living in a way that pleases him. But his commandments are not burdensome. The Bible teaches us time and time again that we're not doing it to earn anything. God's not standing over us like a hall monitor saying, are you, are you not, checking lists. His eyes are on us through Christ who pleased his Father in every way. And he is pleased with us not because we're so good at obeying, but because we want to obey because of Jesus. Knowing the difference in that makes all the difference. He's not pleased at obedience He's pleased at obedience through Jesus, through faith, through trusting in Christ. It should matter to us what God says and what he doesn't say. And it should be our desire to know it and follow it. You know, a lot of times we hear people say, well, that's what my dad always taught me. And we love the respect that one will carry of their dad's teaching. Isn't that cool? I like that. We'll say, man, my mama didn't raise me that way. My mama taught me better than that. And we love the respect of, hey, even though I'm grown now, I'm still making decisions based off how she taught me. I remember growing up, I've heard it a thousand times, and now I say it because I want to be like my dad. If I ever left the door open in the house, boy, were you raised in a barn? He'd yell that out. Boy, were you raised in a barn? And all he meant was shut the door. And now I like to say things like that. I'm not as loud or ornery or grouchy or my voice isn't like my dad's, but I just like that he taught me that way. And I kind of want my kids to think that later. For as much as we might admire the influence of a person these days that is still trying to live their life based off what mom and dad say, it is much more beautiful when you see people today trying to live their lives based off what God says. Why do you do that? And 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 why don't 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 you do that? Because I have a father in heaven who loves me and gave his son for me. And he loves me and he loves it when I love him. And he loves it when I love to obey him. And he loves it when I live to please him. He loves what I do trusting in him. That's awesome. It's Christianity. It's a witness to the world that God reigns. That Jesus is our treasure. The most important thing in the world to us is God. We take serious what he says. And what he says, we want to go live by. And we know we're not earning our way to him. We're not that good. 
but he gave his son for us. And that's our motivation. Living to please God. We just finished up the Olympics. And I think you may have watched the Olympics, and some people do or did. We had something awesome happen this year with Allison Felix, the USA track and field star, the runner, win another gold medal. She is the oldest woman to ever win a track and field gold medal. She won her 11th medal. She is the most decorated woman in track and field history. She has seven gold medals, three silver medals, and one bronze medal. Allison Felix is fast, and she's been fast for a long time. She is 35 years old. She's already had a baby, and she came back and still won a gold medal. She is fast, but she also knows the Lord Jesus. And in interview after interview after interview this summer, as they would put a video camera and a microphone in front of her, she kept saying things like this. When I was a teenager, Jesus saved me, changed my life, and ever since then, I've been living for him. And I came to realize that God made me fast. Running is a gift of God that he gave me, and I run fast. And I know now, because of Jesus, that it's my responsibility to use my speed to glorify him. Some people think that's ridiculous. For us that read the Bible, we think, amen. However God made you, By faith in Christ, do it for him, to please him. If he made you single, be single for the glory of God. If he made you married, be married for the glory of God. If he made you smart, be smart for the glory of God. If he made you rich, and it is God that makes rich, if he made you rich, use it for the glory of God. If he made you poor, and the Bible seems to say that God makes poor people, although that stings. If he made you poor, use it for the glory of God. If he made you Talkative, use it for the glory of God. If he made you quiet, use it for the glory of God. If he made you a parent, use it for the glory of God. Live in a way that pleases him. Because the Bible says he can be pleased with us. May we love Jesus who gives us this perspective, who's got us thinking about this. We're not just out here, y'all, to live lives, to see what happens with it, to try to find something that makes us happy, right? We hear that phrase all the time. Just try to find something that makes you happy, and you'll be doing that the rest of your lives. But focus in on the Bible saying, God can be pleased with you. God can be pleased with you through Christ. What a thought. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for 1 Thessalonians chapter four, the call to sexual purity and to take serious living to please God. God, we pray that we as a church would. God, help us to not ignore these things. Help us, to think, help us God, to not think that there are categories that we're not gonna bring to God. But God, help us to want you to be pleased. Father, we pray now that you would work in our hearts. Help us with this. Thank you for Jesus, who forgives us of all of our sins and who empowers us to live lives pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.